Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Okay, if uh, you guys want to go ahead and move back to your seats, great to see everyone this morning. Um, we're continuing on with our series. We're exploring our church values. Um, we've kind of come back to this idea time and again that the better that we know who we are, um, it, it better positions us to go out and to, to tell God's story, to, um, to introduce people into living relationship with Jesus. And I'm really excited today. Um, we're going to be talking about identity, but uh, I get to talk with one of my favorite people. This is Kevin Walker, everyone. Give Kevin a, a round of applause. Um, so somebody said to me a couple of weeks ago, they're like, I don't mean this as an insult, but your voice is so soothing that I fell asleep in your message. And I was like, thanks. Uh, I think Kevin might be the only person that has a more soothing voice. So y'all get comfortable. I hope everyone's got coffee. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, we're going to be talking uh, today about uh, our second value, um, identity. But, um, you know, Kevin, one of, the, one of the things that you've been doing in, in our community uh, over these past several months is that you've actually been leading this group called Temples. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about like, what the Lord has he put on your heart for quite a while, actually. This was something that was really stewing, and, then, and how that played out. You can, oh, that was, sorry, that was your microphone over there. Back there. Nope, not that one. Back. Yep. Okay, here I am. So, um, really meditating on the Lord's Prayer and, like, envisioning what he wanted his disciples to think about when he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that is, is so um, open for divine imagination. It's so open for our minds to explore that I thought, where, is that, where do I find root in that? And I realized, um, looking in Romans, uh, Romans chapter 3 and, and 6, he talks about the body being a temple of the Holy Spirit, not just the individual body, but the collective body. So um, temples or holy temples is an exploration of what does it look like for us to care for our bodies as temples of the Holy Spirit, um, holistically, um, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and, and together as a community. So that it was um, a fun journey, and we had some uh, good meals and good experiences together. Yeah, you also provided healthy food for everybody at that group, which is pretty great. Um, so yeah, we're going to be talking about identity, which is something that you and I discuss pretty frequently whenever we're able to get together. And um, we're kind of framing the first three values, our theological values like this. By cultivating intimacy with Father God, we learn to inhabit our identity in Christ and discover our purpose as the Spirit-led church. And one of the things that we spoke about last week was so often we invert that, that flow. You know, I think about this flow of love from intimacy into identity and then out to purpose. And a lot of times we reverse that. And we say when we behave appropriately, we can earn our right to enter the household and eventually we can approach God. And so, so much of what we're trying to do is, is to unlearn um, that, that unnatural flow of how we're to approach God and to really put, us, put, our, put ourselves in a right relationship with God, um, to allow that relationship to define who we are, um, and then al- allow that identity uh, to, to give us the creative solution with what we're supposed to do with uh, the world that we live in. So let's pray, and we're going to get right into this. 
Um, Heavenly Father, uh, we testify to the truth that you're here and that you're with us. Um, Lord, we thank you. You know, even this week, um, so many things. We have Ash Wednesday. We have uh, St. Valentine's Day, which I thought he was the saint that punched heretics in the face, but that was St. Nicholas. Um, St. Valentine was also great. And we thank you for his life and his testimony to us. Um, and it's a, you know, it really is a time for us to, to meditate on love uh, and what love looks like in practice. Um, and Father, that's why we're here today. We come in expectant um, to encounter your love, um, and we also come in expectant to be able to administer your love, not just to those that are in this room, not just to those whom we are tied to by family and friendship, um, but to anyone that we encounter. Really, that's our prayer here, Lord. So speak to us uh, because we're listening. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And so we, we kind of want to you know, mainly start here. Our identities are rooted in being God's children, not in what we do. Our identities are, in, uh, are rooted in being God's children, not in what we do. So the first half, we're going to talk about the relationship between our intimacy with God, like we spoke about last week, and our identity. And then the second half, we're going to be talking about our identity and how that speaks to our purpose. Awesome. Um, it's so refreshing to... To, the beauty of Jesus' parables, they just, they just pour over like the ears like, like wonderful honey. I, I don't know if honey's good for the ears, but um, lo- listening, again to the, listening again to the parable of the prodigal son, parables are meant to illustrate like a, a critical shift in, in paradigm, a shift in thinking. And the, the shift is this. It's not about the sons. It's about the father's love. And um, we can see that um, when the son is ready to leave, he's, he essentially says, you're dead to me, to the father. I want what I would get as if you were already gone. I want the inheritance. I'm opting out of this relationship. And why does the father celebrate so much when he comes back? It's because the relationship was reborn. The celebration is not about the son's behavior. It's about the fact that the God who loves us and cherishes us and each one of us that that relationship is reborn, and that's, that's what's celebrated. It has nothing to do with his behavior. It has to do with his choice to re-enter a relationship with the Father. So um, we're going to look at the parable of the lost sheep. Um, in, in Luke, this comes um, just a few verses before the parable of the prodigal son. And um, do you have it on the screens? There we go. Luke fifteen three through 7. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need, who do not need to repent. So um, th- what, this, this parable has given many of us trouble. It's like it doesn't fit our way of thinking. It's like, wait a second, 99 and 1, why is this 1 so important? And we, in the context of, of the theme that, that Christ is communicating through these parables, it's that, no, this is not a quantitative love. It's a qualitative love. And God created all of creation. Everything is intimate to him. Everything is, is close to his bosom, and, and, and he knows it inside and out. So when he loses one, the love is, is, is broken. And, and it's, it, love is not meant to be quantified. We live in a quantifying world. 
Um, you know, when we say the prayer or, or the worship song, God, how great is your love? Thankfully, in our hearts, we know it's not, we're not looking for a quantitative answer. We're looking for the, the feeling, the feeling of, I, I can't even fathom it. Just show me more of the expansive goodness of your love. And that's, that's, what, that's what the shift is. It's about seeing it through the Father's eyes, not through the way the world conditions us. Because I think, you know, what we see in this parable is that both of the sons are measuring their relationship with the father in those quantitative ways, which usually gets refined down to reward and punishment. And a lot of times that's how you and I, that's how we define our relationship with the father as well. It's we're always measuring out how much are we being rewarded? How much are we being punished? And you see that, you know, all through scripture, we see it in our own lives. We say, these people must be blessed by God because of what they have. These people are cursed by God because of what they don't. And we're always measuring out that kind of qualitative um, false love. But the father sees um, the love relationship in terms of quality because it's, you know, the sons are defined by the living relationship with the father. They're not defined by their performance. Um, and I think kind of the second thing I think is so powerful about this, this idea of, of being children and being defined by the Father's love is that God is adopting children that have always been his. God is adopting children that have always been his. We see this movement through the scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament that essentially God is expanding the understanding of his family. And in fact, this is one really fascinating re- way to read this parable, that the older son who stays behind is the Jewish people, and that the younger son is the Gentiles that chose out, they walked away. And then when the younger son comes home, when God opens up the, the doors of the family household to bring in not just the Jewish children, but all children, the Jewish children become indignant. We see this in a lot of Jesus's parables. That's one way to read them. Um, but God is expanding this understanding of what, who his family is, and that causes a lot of discomfort for people. Um, but we see it several times through the New Testament, these deeper and deeper revelations uh, of, of what it looks like for God to adopt these children, but they've always been his. Um, a really great example is that Paul is on a uh, mission in Athens in Acts 17. And he's kind of walking around and he sees, you know, all of these different monuments and idols. They have all these different gods. And there's one that says, you know, this is to the unknown God. Um, And so Paul launches into uh, a sermon right there and then. And he actually authenticates what he finds in the Roman culture, which is really interesting. Um, And he's talking about like, well, I, I see this. You guys are really religious. You're obviously like, you're trying to tap into this thing. You know it's there and you can feel it. But actually, I want to tell you that this God has a name. This love has a name. And there's this really fascinating little line at the end of his message. He says, as some of your own poets have said, we are as offspring. So Paul read Greek poetry. Some of you would probably never will ever want to go back to Greek poetry, but, you know, Paul knew that and he read it and he's actually affirming that in them. He's not saying, no, you guys have it all wrong. Your, your religion is terrible and so on and so forth. He says, no, even your own poets, you feel it in your bones at some level that you're children of the divine. And I want to tell you that that's true. But God has a name and a face, and I actually want to introduce you to that. So Paul is naming this felt truth in the Greek world. Uh, and again, we see it later on. Uh, one of the, the, the letters that we've come back to time and again in 1 John, um, and the writers of John are so adamant about us being saturated in our true identities. And they write this, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. He says, you know, it's the intimate relationship, it's the love of God that defines who we are as his children, and it has been lavished upon us, and it defines us, and that's what we are. The reason this world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now that we are children of God, 
And what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so what the writers are telling us is even by understanding that we're children of God, that still has to play itself out. It's, that's not a conclusion. You know, your identity in Christ as being a child of God, that's not some sort of a conclusion. That's actually permission to explore what that is because you don't even know what that means yet. And that's okay. That's a good thing because that's what the journey of intimacy with the Father means. And so what we find in, in that chapter, especially in 1 John, is that the writers go on to say, now, because of who you are, um, there's a challenge for you to honestly examine the way that you choose to think and feel and act the way that you choose to be in the world. And that's kind of the relationship now when we, when we transition to how our identity determines what our purpose is. Definitely. The, there's so much freedom that opens up when we know our identity through our, identity through our intimacy. But in, in, in when we go the opposite direction, it becomes really confusing. So um, the sons define themselves by their actions. They... They don't see it fully yet, the love of the Father, the magnitude, and, and the unconditional nature. And that's like a lot of us. It's the human condition. It's, it's what we see in our society. And um, when, you, when you go to a social gathering and you meet someone for the first time, the, the, the easiest place to start is usually, oh, what do you do? But oftentimes we phrase the question in this way, oh, tell me about yourself. Who are you? And then we answer with something like, oh... I'm a teacher, or I work, I, I'm a, uh, a professor, or I'm a doctor, or I'm a, a lawyer, or I'm a janitor, or I'm a musician, whatever. We answer with, with an identity that's based upon our actions rather than saying, this is, I'm a person who has these sort of hopes and dreams and feelings and aspirations. And, and it's understandable because we like to see things in the context of society. Where do you fit in into society? But when that is too saturated in our minds, when it's too rooted in the way we perceive ourselves and others, we, 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 can, forget. we can forget to tap into the core. We can forget to go to our identity in Christ first and foremost as a feeling that then blossoms into our understanding rather than an understanding that we try to make ourselves feel a certain way. And um, yeah. So a lot of times when we allow what we do to define who we are, it reinforces um, this need for behavior modification like I talked about last week. This, this idea that self-righteousness is us trying to justify our own existence by what we can contribute to the whole. That self-righteousness is us trying to protect our, our identity and our self because we're proving how we are worthy of love how we are worthy of definition. Um, so a couple weeks ago, I was, um, I was able to go to, to a meeting to get an update on Central Care Mission, which is this drug and alcohol rehab center that we partner with and we have for several years. Really phenomenal uh, meeting. And um, the CEO, Spence Flyter, was telling this story about this young man. Um, he's, he, when he came in, he's 19. He's now 20. This is a year ago. Um, he, had, he, had been in the, the, um, he had been in the home for just a couple months when he actually overdosed in his bed in, in the center. So somehow he had gotten a hold of, his, of drugs or whatever. He overdosed, and they took him to the ER, and they checked him, and they were able to, to save him. And so Spence had to go out there late at night to go and, and find this young man and see what's going on. And he said he was talking to Jesse, this, this young man, while he's sitting in his bed, and he said, you are going to die. You're going to die if. 
And that was the moment where we're all kind of on the edge of our seats, like, you're going to die if. Because what do we normally assert there? You're going to die if you don't get your act together. You're going to die if you don't behave yourself. You're going to die if you don't figure this thing out. Because what we do when there comes, especially in the moment of crisis, is we just assume we should perform better or we should just do more stuff. And that's what we were all kind of anticipating. But Spence said, you're going to die if you do not believe that we love you. And it was this phenomenal shift. And I see this so often in in working with with people who have addictions, that that's the, the, the solution to the problem is a solution of action. Just do better. Why can't you just get it together? And it's very easy for us to cast judgment upon people in our addiction because they are very obviously struggling with their identity. But on some low level, we all have that same thing. But I think the only thing that truly rescues us, that gives us our identity back, is when someone says, you're going to die if you do not believe that you are loved. And that that is the foundation of your identity, that you are the beloved. Because then what you do is a natural outpouring of who you are. And so your purpose, the flow continues from the father to the children, and then the children's purpose naturally flows out of that. And this is, there's a lot of nuance here. Number one, what you do reveals who you think that you are in the moment, okay? This is very key. What you do reveals who you think that you are in the moment. Like I've said before, it's not enough for us just to declare that we have our identity in Christ, that we are as children, but we need to learn how to abide in that. Like, what does that mean from moment to moment in our lives? Because a lot of times... When we reflect upon our actions, it reveals that we're living as a shadow of our true selves, of our, of our identity in Christ. And you, you know, we've seen this a lot over the past six months when someone, you know, a famous politician or actor, whomever, has been accused of sexual harassment or abuse. They get up and what they normally start off by saying is, that is not a true reflection of who I am. Now, this is where it gets tricky. As Christians, we technically believe that that's true. Because you're, that, is not, you were, that is not your true identity. You are a child of God. But those actions are evidence of who you thought you were in the moment. That you deserved it. That you had the right to harass or abuse. And I think that's really where we can tag so much of the sin in our lives. Is to say, who, who did we think that we were in that moment? that we, were, we deserved that thing or we were unworthy or whatever it might be. And it's this misunderstanding of our identity in Christ that actually leads us to sin. This is why behavior modification never actually erases the sin in our lives. It can only come from intimacy with Father God and learning how to inhabit our identities as his children. And the second thing is this. What you do with intention can reveal who you truly are and have secretly been the whole time. And this is what it means to abide in your identity in Christ. I think it's even what Paul's talking about. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's this thing within you, but you've got to work it out. You've got to, you've got to make the connections between who God says that you are, that you are his beloved, and how that actually plays out in real time. And this is a lot of times what we find in, in discipline, um, to, to show up when we don't feel like it, to, to love someone with intentionality when we'd rather just check out. These are the little moments, the invitations for us to to say, I'm going to do this thing with intention as a way of exploring how true my identity in Christ really is. This is what I love about the symbols of circumcision for the Jews and and for baptism in a lot of um, the Christian church is that this is a mark that has been given to you that says you're now part of the household. 
There's a reason Jews are circumcised at eight days, and for a lot of uh, Christian church traditions, you're baptized as an infant because it's marking you for the family. And so for a Jew who's been circumcised, it's never not going to be Jewish. Now, as they grow up, they get to determine, am I going to be a faithful Jew or an unfaithful Jew, a good Jew or a bad Jew? And I wonder for many of us in, in the Christian household, if that's something that we actually need to reclaim, that when we have been marked out for the family, see, so many of us, we think baptism is about our performance and our understanding and us getting it. If that's the case, we probably need to be baptized every single day. <laughs> I, yes, rebaptism is one of my pet peeves. I apologize. But when we are baptized, we are being marked out. You're in the family. You're part of the household. But the challenge in the family is, are you, going, are you going to live as if that's true, or are you going to continue to ignore it? And, it? and that's why I think it's so important that we have, rather than this, first you behave, and then you're allowed to belong to the family, to say, you belong to the family, and as you belong, and you, and you live in the household with the father, you slowly become something. And as you become something, you actually come to believe something as well. Amen. Um, so... We understand the concepts. We're, gr- we're getting there. We're understanding the, the paradigm shift. But how do we know when we're placing our identity and value in what we do instead of who God says we are? What, how are we aware of that? How do we keep um, a mindfulness to, to, to that inner, outer self-identity? Are we really staying rooted within? Um, I have a fairly... Um, relevant testimony to give on this particular topic of, of, of identity and, and um, rootedness in it. Um, something that a lot of us, there's a reason why coming to Christ is a transformative experience, because you lose a part of your old self, if not the majority of it. You know, you still, you're still the same person uh, from a physical, physiological perspective, but there's the renewing of the mind and the heart. But when it comes to functioning in the world and what we identify with, that doesn't always get given up. Sometimes we go to work the very next day and we have the same identity. So um, how, do we, how do we live that out? Um, when I was younger, um, I really wanted to be a professional skateboarder. It was uh, perhaps an obsession, to put it, put it um, honestly. And uh, the, once I started skateboarding, my grades in school immediately dropped like 10 to 15 points because um, that's all I thought about. Um, but... But I, I really felt the pressure coming into, coming into high school, and as, as I started to go later, you know, like 10th grade, really felt the pressure of, okay, am I going to be able to make this as a professional skateboarder, or do I need to get more serious about my studies so I can go to college? And I ended up um, just kind of redlining it too much, pushing the limits. Uh, I was just really wanted to get there, and I was, I was a little kid. I was a late bloomer, so I was only like five foot four and just doing all this dangerous stuff. And I broke my leg. And um, it, was, it was, thankfully, I'm, I'm, I'm well. They had some good doctors that took care of me. Um, but my family just, there was so much fear that, oh, no, like, Kevin's not safe anymore. Yeah, he's talented. We've watched him do lots of scary stuff that he didn't get hurt on. But he is fallible. He can get hurt. So there was so much fear around this and, and so much pressure put on me f- from feeling like, okay, I have to, like, make my destiny decide it now. I ended up actually breaking my other leg the very next summer. And when that happened, it was, it was an immediate loss of self. It was an immediate, like, psychological death of sorts. My eyes actually changed color uh, that summer. I used to have, like, really dark brown eyes, and now I have, like, green eyes. And so 
I mean, I got to experience... Um, God brings beauty and blessing out of everything. And I know that so deeply in my own life because of this. And so when, my, when this happened, I, I was already thankfully going to church for maybe a year and a half. I started when I was like 14. This second break happened when I was 16. So like immediately I just, like um, I'm still in touch with my nurse, the nurse who took care of me at the, at the skateboarding camp. I was at. she's like, she, uh, somehow interacting with me changed her life because the peace of God was just flowing through me. Like, it was totally God because he came in when, when my identity went, he came in and it was like, I, I really became a different person in a lot of ways. And that doesn't happen to everybody. And even a transformative experience, you can still forget. We're all forgetful. We can look in the mirror one, you know, the parable, we can look in the mirror one day and the next day forget who we are. So it's, it's about staying continually rooted in Christ. But I'll say this, what I've learned through my journey, not just with that one incident, but with life is that the more we're rooted in awareness and feeling, feeling connected to God's presence, feeling connected to the body of the church, and not believing what temporary definitions always tell us. Thoughts about, oh, you're great, or oh, you could have done better. These are temporary things. They're, they're just the waves on the surface. We have to stay anchored, anchored in the ocean, anchored in Christ's love. And that is how we don't lose ourselves. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes that's quite, quite helpful. We'll take a look at. Um, I said to myself, come now, I will, test with pl- I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. And um, Y'all came here to be cheered up, right? (laughs) Let's do some Ecclesiastes. And if you've read Ecclesiastes much, it's, there's uh, many elaborations of the similar point that the nature of, the, nature of the, the physical realm is fleeting. And we know that, and we can get lost in that. But when we're rooted in, in Christ and when we're anchored in our identity and saying, I'm a child of God, nothing I can do or accomplish earns the love or, or uh, um, qualifies me for the love, it is... It is a birthmark. It is that, that baptism or that circumcision. It is with me always. And that is, that's where we stay rooted. And I think that the, you know, that's why this question is so profound. How do we know when we're actually placing our identity in what we do or in our relationships? Usually those are the two things. Because a lot of times that doesn't, we don't know that until there's a crisis. The scary thing is a lot of times it works. It works for us to find our identity in our performance, in our job, in our relationships, whatever it is. And we, we don't often take the time to reflect, to really explore that. But this is something that's so profound to me. Community and calling are not the source of your identity. They're the opportunity to express the source. And so what we find, uh, you know, almost a, a parallel story to the story of the prodigal is the story of Adam and Eve, 
They were home. They were in Eden. There's an exile. There's this invitation, you know, to return, to examine who do you really think that you are. And the thing that I find so fascinating in Genesis 2 is that God creates Adam, and he has this complete intimacy, complete access to God. And it says Adam was alone. And then God says, I'm going to create for him a companion. And so he creates Eve. And we think, how strange is that, that he uh, has complete intimacy with the Lord, um, but he still feels this loneliness. And I think what it's really telling us is that, that God creates community for Adam, not because he wants Adam to find his identity in Eve, and not because he wants us to find our identity in the people that we're in relationship with, but because it becomes this opportunity to explore and express his identity. Adam had no one else to bounce being a child of God off of, to really figure out what that means. And so he enters into this relationship. We see this in the, the marital covenant, but in all of our relationships, our relationships, this opportunity to go, as a son of God, I'm going to reveal, to, I'm going to reveal and reflect God to you and the expectation is that you're going to do the same for me. And that's how we actually reconcile what the love of God looks like in our lives in real time. And then our callings, I think, are very similar, that we are able to, to go out and to do the things that God has called us to do, and it kind of reflects, bounces back to us and says, oh yes, this is, this is what it means to be a child of God. Um, what happens, you know, I almost imagine it visually, it's like, you know, the earth and the moon are in this beautiful dance, kind of going through space. They're keeping, we're keeping one another in balance. We're keeping, we affect one another in all these profound ways. The moon protects us from asteroids and gives us, um, you know, waves. I don't know what the moon benefits from the earth. Um, it, it's, I guess, protected in a little bit and also, but it's mainly our shield, yeah. Yeah, but it's this really sweet symbiotic relationship. Uh, but the thing we forget about the, the earth and the moon, you know, I hope we don't forget this, is that we also rotate around the sun together, right? And so the sun actually keeps the earth and the moon in this beautiful cosmic dance. And if the sun wasn't actually there, if the earth and the moon were the, the only relationship, we'd crash into each other, we'd fall apart or whatever it might be. And so we see this almost double rotation, these two, um, these two types of relationships that are kind of defining and holding each other together. And that's what happens for us. And what happens in the story of Adam and Eve? Before long, they forget that God is their source and their spouse is the expression of that source. And they begin to look to their spouse as their source. That they begin to believe that it's, this, is, this is what defines us, not this. And that's the place where everything begins to fall apart. This is the place where shame and guilt come in. A generation later, we find murder. In several more generations, we find a complete um, off-courseness when it comes to the human family. So the, what, what changed it? What changed the dynamic? It was, it was Adam and Eve forgetting that their source of light and gravitational anchor and, and all their nourishment came from the sun, just like the, the, the earth and the moon metaphor. They chose knowledge and power. They chose to eat the fruit. They wanted to know and control their destiny. They said, God, I want to know what you know. You're doing good for me, but I want access to that thing that you don't want me to have access to. And in doing so, they broke, they severed their tie with the spirit. The spirit was was like protecting them almost like in a womb or an embryo. And once that happened, the spirit of God passed from them and they were naked and afraid um, because without him, they were only flesh. Without him, they were only flesh. Um, so what, what's the, how do we live into our purpose? Our purpose is, is unique. We each have a purpose in the body of Christ and we each have where we're growing into 
But our ultimate purpose as human beings is caretakers. That's how we were created in the garden. That's how Adam and Eve were created. And when we look at the lineage from Adam to Christ, caretakers and persons of faith who live boldly into caring for others and what God asked them to steward, that's the thread, is being caretakers. Why was it so important that, that Christ was of the lineage of David and heir to the Davidic throne? It's because David was a shepherd boy. He knew his identity, not in his accomplishments, but in his ability to love and care for. And that's what qual- I believe that's what qualified him as a king more than anything else. His courage was great. His, his, his deep faith was wonderful, but his rootedness in being a caretaker, and, and we see that in Christ. We see that in Christ being a carer for all of our souls and for every person he encountered um, while on this earth. So there's this flow I like to visualize when we're going intimacy, identity, purpose. I like to visualize this flow of Christ, humanity, and creation. We're rooted in our identity in Christ. That's where we find our love and the eternal um, sonship and daughtership that we have in, in, in his kingdom as his children. Humanity is our, is our body of Christ on earth. You know, God wants the gospel to go to every person, every tribe, and every nation. That, that's his goal, is to have all of his sheep together and to have all of us living in beautiful symbiosis of caring for one another and our, with, with our unique giftings and ways. And then creation is how that goes, how humanity is a blessing to the earth and how we steward our gifts and resources and everything, steward his creation to then have the outer be a reflection of the inner and that the beauty we create in the world is not to earn love. It's because we this love is a natural outpouring and we create beauty and then we're inspired um, just as God's creation is, is beautiful and inspiring. Like we start to create like God creates. And so how do... We... <laughs> That's funny. Um, so how do, we, how do we know? How do we know when we're finding our identity in, our, in what we do? How do we know when we're finding our identity in our human relationships rather than with God? I think joy is the indicator that we're living out of our true identities. Joy. because, And I love that you know, this is one of the things that, that Kevin, I think, especially brought to this message. Is it's, it's about us finding our identity in this, the eternal rootedness of God and not in the temporary and you see this time and again, especially in the New Testament through the apostles. They're in these your dire situations. They're in prison. They're being beaten up. They're starving. And they still have joy. And we think that's insane. It's because they're not rooted in the temporary. They're rooted in the eternal. And so I think you know, it's important for each one of us to take those moments and to say, am I living a joyful life? And that's probably an indicator of where I find my identity. Because if I find my identity in my job, in my relationships, in my wealth, in my lack of wealth, whatever it is, I live a joyless existence. And I enter into you know, kind of perennial bitterness. Um, and I, I think that that's so much of the root of why we feel disconnected is because we actually find our identities in what we do. And I think you know, this parable ends the way that it does because it's our choice how to resolve the brothers' struggles how they're both struggling with what their identity really means and how their identity is beckoning them to intimacy. Because the father is beckoning both of them to come back to the household, to sit at the table, and to celebrate with joy. 
We don't know. We don't know what happens next. We don't know if the younger son received the invitation. If he put down the the contract that he's trying to get the father to sign so that he can become a servant. We don't know if the older son walks into the house and embraces his little brother, um, or if he chooses to stay outside in the barn and and suffer under the weight of his own bitterness. We don't know that because it's our job to finish the parable. It's our job to live to to live that out. And so we're going to enter in uh, to a time of worship and of prayer, um, just kind of centered around this question, where do you find your identity? You know, some of you are in crisis, and maybe it's very easy to see where you're rooting your identity. Some of you, life is going really well right now, and it might be a little bit challenging to really to un- uncover that, but we want to just take some time to pray over each other about um, not only declaring our identities, but learning how to inhabit them. So I want to invite you to stand with me. Um, and I'm actually going to have Kevin uh, kind of open us in prayer. But I want you to turn to the people next to you. Um, you know, maybe it's people you came with. Maybe it's not. And just to, to lay hands on one another and to pray over this place of identity. If you feel uh, comfortable in expressing to the other person something like a place in your life that you still see, oh, my identity in Christ is not touching that part of my life yet. Um, Hand that over to the other person. Allow them to pray that you would understand because of the love that the Father has for you that your identity in Christ has something to say about that part of your life. But I just really believe that the Lord wants to do some really sweet things here in drawing us back uh, to the core of our identity, which is in our belovedness. So Kevin, why don't you pray for us and then we're going to pray for one another. Holy God, you are good. God, our hearts and minds celebrate being your beloved, being here together as your body, as your community. God, there's so many things in this world we can find our identity in, Christ, but I pray that one thing stands alone and above all else, and it is the root and the anchor for who we know we are. God, it is in you, Christ Jesus that we know that we are your children. We know that we are your beloved and that we have an eternal home with you now and forevermore. God, in this moment, in this breath, help us know that and feel it in every cell of our being. Help us not doubt, but just embrace. Forget the thoughts that tell us otherwise. Let go of any old words or identities that are keeping us from fully opening our hearts and minds to the truth that you are love and you desire eternal, intimate relationship with us. And that is what you offer us open-handedly with all your heart, God. Lord, we open our hearts and minds and hands to you and strengthen us individually and collectively. We are your body. Christ, hallelujah. Thank you. So let's pray uh, and worship. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.